to the VitaFoods Insights podcast. Join us as we explore the latest science and innovation, helping the global health and nutrition industry connect, develop, and progress. Today's host is Natalia Franco-Rocha, content producer. Hello and welcome to another VitaFoods Insights Sustainability Series episode. Today we'll be talking about the sustainability efforts and the programs carried out by PharmaActive Biotech Products. I'm delighted to be joined today by Marguerite Gerritsen, who is the Managing Director of PharmaActive Biotech Products. Thanks for joining me today, Marguerite. Thank you very much, Natalie, for your invitation. And I'm happy to be sharing with all of you and our listeners some input about our sustainability efforts. So to get us started today, could you please share more with our listeners about Pharmoactive Biotech Products, its sustainability program, and how it impacts the three pillars of sustainability, so the planet, the people, and the profits? We are a Madrid-based company, and we're designing innovative ingredients for the nutraceutical space. As we have probably that in common with many of the VitaFoods listeners, sustainability for us is of crucial importance. So crucial importance because not only our direct customers, so the brands and possibly distributors are asking about it, but also more and more our end customers. So we clearly see a pull coming from the market about our sustainability efforts, and it has become almost a must to be able to compete and to differentiate from other players in the market when you have a well-designed sustainability initiative. So if we look at the three pillars of sustainability, people, say the environmental aspect and also the economic aspect, I would like to start first with the people aspect. Because any company is built up its people, the talent that we have in the organizations. So one of our key ingredients that we promote is our Saffron product. As you may be familiar with, this really promotes the Spanish cultural heritage. That is what we focus on within our sustainability effort. This is an, a centuries-old tradition within Spain. So our sustainability effort is actually driven to sustain that, to promote it, and also to promote the social cohesion within the rural areas in Spain to keep this tradition going. At the second level, also on the people part, we are really focused on promoting ingredients with a very strong scientific background. So we are focusing on contributing to people's health and well-being all across the world. So Basically, our DNA of the company is already very much aligned with our sustainability initiative. So that really drives our R&D activities. So when we ask ourselves, what R&D are we going to focus on? What projects or what botanicals we'll be focusing on in our pipeline? This is what we take into account. Are we able to bring on differentiating botanical to the market that promotes the well-being and health of people all around the world? So the second pillar within sustainability, of course, environmental, we source our ingredients sustainably. We focus on ingredients that are renewable. And that's the beauty of basically our business. Our business is all about renewability. So our ecological footprint, we try to keep it as small as possible, not only in the extraction for process in our plant, but also in the ingredients that we source. We work with farmers. The saffron fields are integrated in our supply chain. So we work with farmers to promote sustainability and regeneration of the crop. So when we hear from consumers that there's an increased need for ecological certification, pesticide-free, etc., these trends and these things we communicate to them and we work with them to get that implemented. So as of today, Pharmactive is able to provide certificates to all our customers, for example, that highlight that we are pesticide-free, that we have 
biological options as well. And that is something that we do with all the farmers that we, that we work with. And lastly, we promote ingredients in a sense that we support biodiversity. And the third pillar, the economic pillar, because yes, we are also a business, it also becomes an economic imperative to focus on sustainability. Every business, of course, has to watch out for waste and resources, but we focus on reduction of energy and water in the plant and in our offices. We optimize our extraction processes to reduce waste and energy, but also we try to focus on ingredients that not only offer higher margin product, but have that combined with a sustainability extract. So if we cannot produce an ingredient in a sustainable way, most likely it's also not economically viable. It's actually really great to hear that you're taking sustainability as this holistic approach and as a whole system accounting for all the pillars of sustainability, considering economic, environmental and social aspects. I also know that you have certified your environmental management system. Can you share more about how that came about and the steps and path that you followed? I mean, how could other companies develop similar roadmap? In answer to this, I would like to stress two things, right? One is the regulatory aspect. So there are certain things that a company must comply with. But the other part is also the mission and the vision that a company has. Our company is about today, 12 to 13 years old. So relatively young company. And when we started, it probably wasn't as pronounced as much as it is today about how important having an environmental management system was. So we started gradually, and over time, it became much more implemented in all the processes, etc. So we started working with ISO. So ISO is a very common control mechanism within companies. So within ISO 14,000, of course, we, we check for correct waste management. We measure the environmental impact of our activities. We look at the waste in our plant, etc., etc., and work, of course, with compliance about the environmental legislation as well. But that is just the, I would say, the process around it. And I think for most companies, if you want to implement that, that in a way, not so hard to do. You get in contact with a consultant, you see what the requirements are, you look at your processes and you align your activities. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes resources without a doubt. But I feel that if you are a company that wants to do that, implementing an ISO certification on environmental aspect is definitely available to the majority of them. Where it becomes a little bit more trickier is the human aspect. So I mentioned to you before the company's DNA, the company's mission, the company's vision. If not, a management system is just that. It's a paper trail. You have to live it. So I can absolutely with 100% certainly say that we live this within our company. So our team is constantly coming up through our continuous improvement project with new ideas to improve sustainability. What can we do? What can we ourselves, people in the office, people in the plant, what can we do to make our, let's say, our environmental management system better, not only as a paper tool, but also in a day-to-day stuff. So if you do that with initiatives that come from the bottom up, what you ensure is that all these activities become a whole lot more sustainable. Everybody participates, everybody contributes. And that part is a whole lot more difficult to start as a company especially when you have to start that from scratch. So my advice to companies wanting to start that is take small steps, map out where for you are your priorities, start small, and then also make sure that you have a bottom-ups approach so that everybody can contribute. 
Well, it's really great to hear about this viability that other companies can take to partake on this environmental management system. We can definitely all do our part in the industry to contribute to sustainability. So thank you so much for sharing more insights on how other companies can start. And now can you talk more about your environmental policy strategies and farming plans in the remote areas of Castilla-La Mancha? region of Spain. Yes, this is, a, of course, a topic of great pride and joy for us. And maybe for the international listeners who are not familiar with Castilla de la Mancha, again, from activists based out of Spain. And Castilla la Mancha is a region of Spain, very, very famous centuries now for the cultivation of saffron. So this is an area that is very popular for that. And this is also the area where Farmactive, uh, we have our own field, we work with cooperatives and where our vertical integration comes from. So in terms of the environmental policy that we have regarding our fields and work with our cooperatives is that we talk on a regular basis about what do these people need, what do organizations and the cooperatives need from us, especially feedback from the market to deliver a superior product. As I mentioned before in one of your questions, the feedback from the market is uh, it needs to be, of course, pesticide-free. It needs to be ecological, etc. So we try to be the intermediary in a sense that we translate these trends and we communicate that to the farmers and the cooperatives in these areas so that they can take action on that. Another topic, for example, is the reduction of water as well for irrigation purposes. Another part of our environmental policy is what can we actually do to help preserve the cultural heritage that is established there for centuries. There are many botanical species, but also plants that can be farmed industrially. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately in this sense, I would say it's fortunate, saffron is centuries-old plant that is not easily cultivated. So just the fact that we're able to preserve these traditions where bulbs are planted, they're harvested in October, in November, and then mostly women, they are the ones that extract actually the stigma from it providing this, this social and cultural cohesion, that is what we promote. So we go as a company, we support that, not only with resources, but of course also uh, by making sure that our customers sell more of this great spice. So we sustain rural communities. If you know a little bit about Spain, you know that we have a serious problem with depopulation. So less and less youngsters are going into agriculture today. There's a big trend of people moving to the cities. So by helping establish a viable job, you know, economic and let's say employment in the rural areas helps to keep people there, helps to keep the young people also interested and helps them to stay within the saffron trade. So we promote the local economy because we source locally. It's really nice to hear about this heritage conservation and the woman inclusion promotion, as well as the employability work that you're doing in these rural areas. It sounds like you've really taken an approach to enhance the circular economy. And that's amazing to hear. I hope other companies listening get inspired by your sustainability work. But what about the investment needed towards these sustainability practices versus the return of investment? Could you comment on that? Yes, I think this is important that nothing in life, unfortunately, comes for free, right? So we have to be willing to make an investment in these areas. But again, if that is your mission and your DNA as a company, you make room for that. You allow for that planning and your budget rounds to make sure that you have these funds available. So we do not treat sustainability practices as an expense. We see it as an investment. And if you take that approach it becomes easier to manage. We know that year over year, we have certain 
expenses to pay or to invest, and we need to recoup that. So if we look at what these expenses are, of course, we pay consultancy fees, we pay certifications, we pay visits to the local areas, and also, of course, it's investment in time because you're spending the effort as a company, as a group of people, to talk to farmers and to talk with local communities. In terms of the return of investment, of course, we measure it in additional sales. That's one thing, because we believe it's an indirect driver to be successful. So as long as we see a positive trend, in, let's say sales, but also in the feedback, we get a lot of feedback from consumers and from people who use our products that are happy. People have said, you know, you've really contributed to a better mental state, or I sleep better, etc. Indirectly, that is also return on investment. And ultimately, Natalie, yes, we have to look at the bottom line and see, of course, at the end of the day, what our EBITDA is for the overall business. But I think the key is do not focus on a ROI that is immediately short term. If you start to measure expenses and then immediately return on investment on, let's say, on a quarterly basis, then your ROI is definitely going to be negative. However, if you approach it on a longer term and you allow it to be, let's say, an intrinsical part of your regular annual planning and budget process, you'll see a much more positive return on your percentage. That's actually really nice and different to hear that you take this human-centric approach and consider the end consumer's feedback as a measurement to return of investment. And yeah, that's amazing. We also, of course, make investments in the plants, right? In the factory. And we have a patented Afron CoolTech where we only extract with water. Now, that in the first instance is, of course, an investment. And this is something, if you invest in your plants, there you have a much easier way to measure your return on investment. So there we are able to see, okay, we invested X a few years ago, but we're now able to extract with higher efficiency rate, with less waste, with less water, etc. So on those investments that are directly tied to technical equipment or IT or let's say tangible assets in the factory, there, of course, it's very, very easy to measure your return. And that can also be effectively managed by a dedicated team of plant managers. Amazing. That is definitely a lot of metrics that other companies can use to measure their impact. So thank you so much for sharing with us your insights today. And before we end the show, do you have any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say if people walk away after listening to this podcast and after everything we've talked about, maybe I'd like to give us a last message which I think is the heart of sustainability. If you treat sustainability as something that you intrinsically believe in as a company or as an organization, then you will make it happen. If you believe that sustainability, if you only do it because your customers ask for it or you want to get a certain certification, it will be very difficult to achieve long-term and again, sustainable results. So basically my last piece of feedback to ourselves even, to us as a business, but also to the other companies is think about how you feel, how your company feels about sustainability. And if you believe that it can truly benefit your overall customers, your organization at large, then use that to drive implementation within your business. I love the end piece of advice. It really links back to the whole idea of leading by example. So that's really great. Thank you so much once again for joining us today, Margaret. You're welcome, Natalie. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. And if you're interested in learning more about Formoactive Biotech products, make sure to check out their website on the hyperlink that's available on the show notes. Bye for now and see you next time. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to check the show notes that will allow you to link to the information discussed in today's podcast, as well as any sponsorship opportunities. Be sure to stay tuned, subscribe, and even suggest to a friend. Thank you.